Today on the Topping Show, Rick and Morty creator found not guilty, Andrew Tate release denied again, rest in peace, the 6th generation Camaro, Ford EV on track to lose $3 billion in 2023, Senator Ted Cruz aims to block the digital central bank currency, the House fails to repeal Biden's first veto, influencers head to Capitol Hill, and a pilot goes viral for placing a cup of coffee on the plane controls. All of that and much, much more on The Topping Show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Today's episode of The Topping Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN and Topping Technologies. ExpressVPN helps protect your online data, and Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. If you're a business owner or an IT leader, you can use a little assistance. Reach them at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, jumping into the business part of the podcast, Panera Bread is now testing Amazon's Palm Pay technology, which is perhaps not the best, best marketing in terms of it just sounds awkward. Nevertheless, Amazon has a palm scanning technology where clients can literally use their palm print in order to pay for orders. Panera Bread is testing the technology. This technology is being called Amazon One, and they're utilizing it at two Panera stores with plans to go up to 10 to 20 in the next few months. A lot of people are concerned about this, obviously, because it's personal information and it's biometric data. It's your palm. There's only one of them. And, well, if you're lucky, you have both palms. But nevertheless, the data is not going to be stored by Panera Bread. So that sensitive data is going to be stored in the cloud, which, of course, has its pros and cons. Now, consumer privacy advocates groups are already protesting the technology. This technology was attempted to be rolled out in 2022, specifically at the Red Rocks Amphitheater in Colorado. But they stopped using Amazon One due to the protesters and all the privacy advocate groups saying... We don't want this technology. We don't want. We don't want you to have this data. Here's my money. Take my money. You don't need. It's a ticket for a, a friggin' concert. Why do you need it on my pant, my palm? Really weird. So, yeah, I definitely don't see what that big deal is in terms of where's the convenience. It takes two seconds to insert a credit card, or I don't know. So to me, I never saw the appeal to it. Now, it's very interesting that Panera Bread is doing this in the light of they had a huge security breach a couple of years back. And so they don't have a great track record of protecting their consumer data. Now, back in 2019 specifically, they had a data breach attack, which was caused by a flaw in their website that allowed hackers to access customer data, including their name, addresses, and credit card numbers. This is partially because they were controlling that data, so the attackers went directly at them. For the Amazon situation, Amazon and their cloud would be the ones actually storing that sensitive data. But nevertheless, have you ever thought... I want to go get some bread, a, a bread bowl of soup or whatever the heck they sell. And I just want to place my hand on this thing and get it scanned me. That sounds old school, but it does take less than three seconds to insert a credit card. And credit cards are pre- relatively secure. If you see a false charge, you call your credit card company, they investigate, and they dismiss it, they give you a new card. So in terms of it would be more secure unless someone hacks into the cloud, then they have your palm print. And they could use that to make other purchases where they use that authentication. So personally, I don't see the appeal. It's not faster. It's debatably more secure. But it also has its flaws and drawbacks. And just from my personal perspective, I'm not a fan of that technology. It'll be interesting to see 
how far it moves or how much of it expands in the market with other similar retailers and maybe other restaurants. Now, another sad news, the sixth generation Camaro will be no more. One of the most pinnacles of Canadian muscle. It's supposed to be American, but if you actually just do a little research, actually, this generation is actually, actually it's, uh, it's made in Canada, nevertheless. Now, this generation Camaro has been produced for nine years. It's going to be ended in 2024. The Camaro was produced from 1966 to 2002 when General Motors actually halted the production in part because of low sales. So you talk about the Pony Wars. I like the Camaro. A couple of them are really fun to drive, but I think it's safe to say they lost some of the Pony Wars between the traditional you know, Ford, Chevy, and Dodge because the Camaro's been killed multiple times. Now, Camaro made a big comeback in 2010. Really phenomenal. The sixth generation, when the Camaro came out, it looked revolutionary. And their best sales rep of the year was Shia LaBeouf and Michael Bay, which their iconic movie, Transformers, the whole hero of the movie is the new Camaro. That movie came out in 2007 with the new Camaro concept car. But when you see the difference between the concept car to the production, it was it wasn't a copy paste, but it's very accurate to it. So it was a huge appeal. And throughout that series of the movie, the main good character is Camaro. And of course, great marketing by General Motors. All the good guys in the movies are all GM cars. I believe in the same movie, they also had the Pontiac Solstice and other, they had the Cadillac. They had a couple of these other premium GM products and brilliant marketing. The bad guys are the, the car competition to General Motors. Their competitors are the bad guys. So I don't say this often, but that was a brilliant marketing move by General Motors. Got all the kids, young adults, everyone enthusiastically attracted towards the brand, towards the models of the cars. And I'm sure that was one of the best sales mechanisms ever for that vehicle. Now, GM does promise that the Camaro will live on, but, but it will not live well. I think that's a quote from a funny mobster movie, something. But... There's rumors that there's going to be a Camaro EV. There's rumors that there's going to be a Camaro SUV. And there's other rumors that say the Camaro might be its own standalone brand with multiple models. There's, I believe, I forgot if it's confirmed, but the Corvette similarly, where they'll have the Corvette car, but they'll also have a Corvette SUV. So they'll have other models in that this model will become a brand with its own models. And it'll be interesting to see how that evolves. Recently, in the past couple of years, they've, increase the diversity in terms of the offerings of the different SKUs of the Camaro with different engine orientations, SKUs, and trim levels. But to have it to be an SUV, it'll be interesting to see what kind of backlash for the fans that is, or if they just, fans just say no. Mitsubishi actually did this with the Eclipse. It used to be an iconic sports car. I mean, Fast and Furious movie, basically, that Brian's Green Eclipse, that was every young guy's dream car for years. Fast forward, now the Eclipse is an SUV. So a lot of these companies are trying to capitalize on some of their most powerful brands historically, that name, and put it on something else to see if that brand association carries over. It'll be interesting to see how that hammers out. Now, other sad news in the automotive industry, Ford is projected to lose $3 billion by the end of 2023 on their EV unit. Now, the 119-year-old Ford company recently divided the company into three separate business units. You have Ford Blue, which is the traditional, think of the F-150, the Mustang, not the electric one. 
and you know the ones you see on the streets now they also have the ford pro which is all the commercial vehicles when you see the ginormous carriers and trucks that you don't just see at the dealership that's their commercial line and then they also have the third company which they call the model e which appropriately named is electric that's for all their electric vehicles and right now they only sell three EVs in North America. They sell the F-150 Lightning, the Mustang, quote-unquote Mustang Mach-E, which is an SUV, so that's why the quotation is around the Mustang. Very controversial in the automotive community. And they also have a plug-in cargo van. Now, it's not too surprising that they're losing and bleeding so much money. Every time you invent a new product, especially when you have to have a whole new assembly line and whole new technologies, you're going to lose money especially for a couple of years, because it's a huge upfront investment. It's one of those things where you amortize the cost over the years. Think of the cost of you assemble the, you put together the factory, you have to buy those monstrous big machines. But once you have those machines up and running, then you can pump out thousands, hundreds of thousands of units. So the cost per unit always continues to go down. Granted, you'll have some maintenance on the machines and upgrades every couple of years. An automotive, I believe Chevy is actually the company that really brought it to market where they have the same engine drivetrain and just slap on different body panels. And they've been doing that for over 90 years. So it's not a new phenomenon. But in terms of the production assembly line, that's really where you'll see a lot of those cost differences that have different body panel machines or different molds for the machines to press for the different fenders and such. So it's not too surprising that they're going to be losing money for a little while. Now, Ford CFO's uh, John Loyler, he noted that the EV is being start treated as a startup. John estimates that the Model E business will create a operating net profit by the end of 2026. And Ford's goal is to break even with the EV by the end of 2023, which would be ridiculously good. If they could really break even by then, that's pretty ambitious. I need to double check that, to be honest, because that sounds too good to be true. But yeah, if they can make a profit by the end of 2026 at 8%, that's pretty good. However, the concerning part is that's still not beating Tesla. And it's also one of those things where it'd be interesting to see how it's dividing the company internal with politics and culture, where you have Ford Blue, traditional F-150, best-selling truck since the dawn of time, and all of their majority of their profit, or much of their profits is being given away to your competition, to the guy down the street at the EV company, Ford EV. And it's one of those things where a rational person will understand a business has to make investments, but... It's also taken away from your department and your resources. Now, it'll be interesting to see how that pans out, but given, long, given the long-term history of Ford, they're the only automotive company, them and Tesla, who have never accepted a government bailout. So they actually were able to keep themselves afloat during the 2008 recession. So they have a historic, pretty good historical data on venturing into new categories and make sure that they stay afloat. So hopefully they continue to conquer and grow as well and continue to make the Mustang with a stick shift, of course. Now, going into the culture section of the podcast, which also media slash business, the Rick and Morty creator was found innocent, specifically Justin Rowland, who is a co-creator of Rick and Morty, as well as a co-creator of Solar Opposites. He's also the main voice. He voices Rick and Morty, as well as a bunch of the other characters in the show. Now, he was officially charged with felony domestic abuse by his ex-girlfriend. Specifically, it was domestic battery and felony count of false imprisonment, which Rudimentarily speaking, it means you force someone to stay with you against their will and you hit them. So 
just in layman's terms, that was what he was being accused of. Now, Justin noted that it was a false accusations by his quote-unquote vicious ex. And now that he won, he said he'd be proven innocent. And his lawyers, of course, agreed. And she, he's saying that she did it for revenge, which, if true, she won big time. Because he basically, like, he lost everything. Which, unfortunately, is the case with an overwhelming majority of all these false accusa accusations. And it's one of those sad things because negative media sells much more frequently, quicker, and more popular than positive media. One of my favorite examples is John DeLorean, who is a creator of, of course, the iconic DeLorean car, which was used back in the future. He was accused of financing drugs, illicit drug um, running with uh, cocaine. And they was, when he was charged, it was page one. Everyone said he was guilty. And then he was acquitted. There's a joke. He was like, page nine, there's a small section that said, oh, yeah, he was, all charges were dropped. He was acquitted. And it's the same thing here. He lost, when he was accused, he lost his job. He lost his show. Not just one company fired him. Everyone blacklisted him. And it's one of those things where there's a lot of disclaimers in terms of people thought the show was going to fall apart. I don't think it'll ever fall apart. You have some voice actors who are imitating him. And he's actually, ironically enough, Justin interviewed someone who copies his voice before all this happened. And actually, Justin said, hey, yours is so close. I don't think anyone would notice, which... Perhaps foreshadowing that guy might replace him if the time comes. Other employees note that Justin Roiland has not written really much on the show since after season three. And after that point, he was mainly just coming to the officer once in a while for voice acting. Now, that being said, there's still a lot of unusual weird behavior around him. He would actually bring a toy car to the office with a camera on it, which he would drive up to employees to spy on them. Which is just reminiscent of like a weirdest childish prank that you would see on a cliche 90s movie or something. And Adult Swim promptly fired him, which was disgusting for them to do before they had all the evidence at hand. And it's particularly risky because you think of Adult Swim, like a lot of entertainment, a lot of book publishing companies, most of your products are losers in terms of they bleed money, you lose money. Just like venture capital, it's all very similar where you're hoping beyond hope you find that one hit They'll bring you to profitability and help you grow your business to actually, and then help the struggling media that you're producing, maybe increase their quality or bring in some extra talent. Similar, similar to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. They weren't very successful off the bat. Season one wasn't very good, but once they brought Danny DeVito in, it boosted the whole show and they've been iconic ever since. And FX couldn't have done that unless they had the fiscal resources from other more successful shows to offset the cost and invest in that show, which paid off in dividends and ever since this one of the most popular shows ever now with justin Rowland, there's still a lot of inappropriate behavior around him there's a lot of screenshots of him inappropriately messaging under a underage kids now it'll be interesting i don't think he's had any direct charges from that now that being said especially the day of ai we don't know if they're real or not especially with screenshots and tweets a lot of things can be done in photoshop so Realistically, you would need a forensic audit or some forensic scientist to go through to confirm it's actually real. And if it's true, then of course, prosecute him to the full extent of the law and fire him again. If I don't think Adult Swim is going to hire him again, though, after this, even though he's been proven innocent. So there's still a lot of murkiness around Justin Rowland, if that's how you pronounce his name, I believe. But it is nice to see he was cleared of this charge because... It means a woman wasn't hurt in this situation. So there's a lot of people who actually, it's bizarre to see the culture or cults around personalities where just because you don't like someone, you want the bad news to be true, which why the 
hell you want that to happen is beyond me. If this was, it would be terrible if this was true. Okay, you get someone you don't like in jail, but that means someone else was terrifically hurt. So in this case, it is nice to see that that was not the case for that particular charge. It'll be interesting to see how his career progresses as this goes on, if any other charges are brought. Speaking of other controversial charges, Andrew Tate, as well as his brother Tristan, have now been incarcerated for four months without trial in Romania, or Romania, some might say. Now, he was originally sentenced for 30 days, but the judge keeps extending the times. And the reason I'm bringing this up again is because the most recent release date was going to be March 27th, but again, the judge decided to keep him and his brother longer. Now, according to Tate's lawyer, the prosecutor in Bucharest did not bring any evidence to the court hearing on March 22nd. So this is a reoccurring theme with this hot, controversial issue where they've been in prison for all this time. And they still do not have any official charges. And they've also arrested, I forget what her name is, but one of his personal assistants, who you would see in these videos. And she, again, has had no charges, as well as his brother, Tristan Tate, which is fascinating just because his name is Tristan. I've never heard of one in real life. So that's one of the reasons I was actually somewhat interested. It's like, who has that name? Got my attention. But under Romanian custody laws, they can keep Andrew Tate and his brother Tristan for up to six months without evidence or bringing any charges to them. And the judge claims that they're detaining them because the brothers have enough wealth to leave. Well, yeah. If, But if you don't have any charges or any evidence, why won't you let them leave? If you have a case, present your evidence. This is perhaps one of the most basic things in law or common sense, which granted common sense is less and less common. So I call it on common sense these days, but this is just more and more reminiscent of 1984, which is a brilliant book by George Orwell, which everyone should read. It's fascinating, it's quite dark, and you'll unfortunately see many contrasts to modern society. However, a lot of people are saying that he's being detained just because they don't like with, they don't agree with what he says because he's a very polarizing personality. He's very, pro-masculinity and a lot in this era of you know all masculinity is toxic masculinity he especially says some hot button topic things that a lot of people find disgusting and viscerally bad now that being said you shouldn't be thrown in jail because of what you say especially when he's not yelling he's not making threats his speech is not what you would be considered direct harassment or i forget the actual vernacular but to see him still in jail doesn't make Romania look good either. It makes him look rudimentary or backward. At. I, I can't think of a word corrupt comes to mind, which, again, is ironic because in one of the interview, interviews, Andrew Tate actually said he went there because he can buy his way out of trouble. Evidently, that's not the case. But, again, if you have no evidence, hopefully he's free of all charges, and hopefully there's no evidence because, again, that means no one's been hurt by his actions or alleged actions. So we'll see what happens from this. It's... That six-month mark is going to come. A lot of people are speculating. Are they just going to make up a charge or present some false evidence? Why? If they have evidence, I still think they would present it at day one to show the whole world, hey, we we caught the guy. Our country gets the credit. Every day, day that goes by, you don't present evidence. You just look more and more corrupt or just incompetent, both of which are not positive good things for your country to be highlighted for. So it'll be interesting to see how that progresses. Now, going into the politics part of the podcast, interesting information. So Ted Cruz, who is a senator from Texas, he introduced legislation to block a central bank digital currency. Now, a central digital bank currency, or CBDC, as 
everyone from politicians to tech folks to sports players love acronyms. It makes you sound smart, but I try to keep repeating the whole word because it can get complicated. Now, that is a digital version of a state's fiat currency like the U.S. dollar banked by a, backed sorry by a central bank. Now, Ted noted that the government, quote unquote, had no authority to unilaterally establish a central bank currency, quote unquote. Now, a digital central bank controlled currency would allow the government to stop your ability to spend money with a simple click of a button, which is one of the biggest concerns, as it should be, as we've seen banking institutions as well as retailers turn people away based on their political, political ideologies or religious ideologies. Now, the great thing about paper money is if you have paper money in your wallet, it doesn't automatically just become invalid if you say something on the internet. You take that cash, go to any reputable store, and they'll take your cash for all goods. That's why it says on the, on the dollar it says for all good legal. This is legal good for legal currency for all legal tender goods. Yada yada. And it's just one of those things where I don't care who's in charge. I can't think of a good reason to give any government entity that type of unparalleled control over your life. So again, there's a lot of privacy concerns as well as just basic freedom concerns of. You have other countries where this is all being rolled out, where you have a social credit score. If you don't say the right things, you can't spend that money. All of a sudden, the money you work for is not worthless. You can't spend it. So that should be concerning to everyone, as far as I'm concerned. And hopefully, you'll see some bipartisan support for this, since it would be nice to see that becoming rare and rare. But now, this legislation is being co-sponsored by Charles E. Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, as well as Mike Braun, a Republican from Indiana. Now, unlike Bitcoin, which is pretty much bar none the most popular well-known currency or central banking digital currency now unlike bitcoin or sorry bitcoin's on blockchain it's not controlled by any government now unlike bitcoin a central bank digital currency is issued and backed by the government entity and the transaction on a centralized permission blockchain now cruz also argues that would give the government insight into all of your purchases so not only could they stop you from ever buying anything, but they could also track every single purchase you do. Now, the United States, you're not supposed to be able to have that kind of power. Right now, if you buy something, it's your private business. You have third parties, such as payment processors, who collect that data with a warrant, I believe, then they could actually search it. But again, they're supposed to be due process. Doing this would give them all the data, just unlimited access to all the data. And just basically assumes everyone is guilty until proven innocent, which is the opposite of America should be and was founded on. You're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. So it's one of those things where hopefully some Democrats and Republicans team up on this initiative because I don't see it being used in any positive way, regardless of who's in the White House or who's in charge. Now, the House also failed to override Biden's first presidential veto, which I don't want to say I called it, but I kind of I did predict earlier when I was speaking about when he issued his first veto. Now, the votes fell short to the of the two-third majority needed to override Biden's veto around the rule around ESG investing. That rule would allow money managers to weigh on ESG or environmental social governance factors when evaluating investment-related decisions around retirement accounts. Which again, if it's a retirement account, you're on a fixed income, you don't want to be supporting things that lose money. And you're trusting these people they're supposed to have a fiduciary responsibility which is a fancy term for saying it's in their best interest and they have to make decisions based on what is going to return you the best investment 
which if you're retired, you don't have extra income, you're relying on that. So their job is to create the best ROI, not for, not for social causes. If you want that, to do those types of things, that's fine, but you're supposed to be transparent and set up a new company to do that and let people know their retirement funds are gonna be invested in that way. Now, the chamber voted specifically 219 to 220, so obviously I'm no mathematician genius, but they definitely fell short of the two thirds. Now, the only Democrat to join was Representative Jared Golden, who's a Democrat from Maine, and he joined the vote with every Republican voting in favor of overriding the veto. So this is a pretty politically divided issue when you only have one person from the other side joining your initiative. So unfortunately, this is a very politically charged issue. I would hope and think more politicians and people would say, I don't want the, I don't want them to have these types of investment powers to regard your best interest. One would think that would be more of a bipartisan thing, but apparently not. Now, vetoes are so rare to be overridden. I actually looked into it. So during Trump's presidency, his veto was only overridden one time. And that's when Trump actually rejected a huge defense spending bill, which I'm not surprised since the defense industry is one of the largest job providers and Republicans and Democrats, all come, many come from constituencies that benefit from that because you have the ripple effect of such as the F-35 Lightning II, one of the fastest, most advanced technolog technologies in aviation history, the F-35 Lightning II by Lockheed Martin, it wasn't just built by Lockheed Martin. You actually had the ripple effect when you throw a stone in water. There were hundreds of subcontractors and subsuppliers making the components to be put into the plane, which means many states and many constituents had an incentive for that project to go through because those are going to be supporting a lot of their voters. So I'm not surprised that people on the left and right did override his veto in that regard. Now, when Obama was in office, he only had one veto overwritten. So it is really, really rare, and I'm not too shocked it happened. Given how the current control is with the House and the Senate, I don't think we'll see a lot of them being overridden during the last uh, during the last year's uh, Biden's presidency. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Now, other interesting news, influencers are going to Capitol Hill. You have TikTok stars, which quote unquote, which I find is fascinating that that's actually a job. Now, they also have small business owners, educators. They're all getting involved in politics as more and more Republicans and Democrats team up to limit the use of the TikTok application, which is fascinating. It's, you have all of these controversial issues. You have war, famine, poverty. But the thing that gets young people involved in voting is a Chinese-owned app for social media. That's what it took for people to really get involved and interested in politics, which is fascinating and also disappointing. If you pay taxes, you should be interested in politics because you should know or care where your taxes are going and if they're achieving the goals and virtues you believe in. Now, that's what took them involved. Now, it's interesting in terms of political, in terms of political support, it's very partisan. Now, the influencers actually, all those influencers went to Capitol Hill and they joined politicians who are against extra scrutiny around TikTok now, specifically, the influencers joined the politicians known as Jamal Bowman, who is a Democrat from New York. You have Mark Pocan, or Pocan, who is a Democrat from Wisconsin, and Robert Garcia, who is a Democrat from California. So not a lot of bipartisan diversity. It's all Democrats in this instance. Now, it also is funny to see the shots, the shots 
what do you call it? Being shot across the moat ball. Whatever metaphor there is, a shot across the bow pain. Someone can research that for me in the comments. But nevertheless, it's interesting to see how the politicians poked fun at each other. Now, at the event, the, what's that guy's first name? The Jamal Bowman, he, in a saying Republicans don't like TikTok, he said, quote unquote, he said that Republicans want to ban it because they don't have, quote unquote, swag. And he also said, quote unquote, and this is quote unquote, Republicans ain't got no swag. That's why they want to ban TikTok. Which ain't got no. Which means they do have swag. Because I went to grammar school, elementary school. I remember I was I struggled with it as a child. The double negative thing. Where if you say two double negatives, it becomes a positive. So ain't got no. Which means he says Republicans do have swag. Which more than two might. But if you look at who's utilizing TikTok for advertising, maybe they should actually utilize it. But that's also a terrible idea because it's a foreign-owned app and you're putting polit politicians on there. And again, it's a spyware. I don't see any positive use from TikTok. It's such a big security liability and it should be, it's been banned on most government devices. So I take that back. There shouldn't be any politicians on that. Go on the apps that are at least controlled by U.S. entities. Granted, a lot of them are skewed and biased, so you, it's a lot harder to get your message out there. But yeah, this, this should be breaking news. Bowman said that Republicans do have swag by the double negative. Now, it'll be interesting to see because before this, we had part, um, we had both Republicans and Democrats teaming up to try to limit and restrict this application. I wonder, it'll be interesting to see if these have, folks have any ulterior motives or why they say, why they all... Why do they why do they want to stand up for TikTok? Interesting to see find out. Now, going to the business blunder of the day, a pilot took a picture of coffee on the airline control panel. Now, these pilots were on a company called the Indian or is the um, is an Indian budget carrier known as Spice Jack. So they actually do get a they get a plus for that cool name. Spice Jet. That's brilliant. Now, it'd be even better if they I don't know if they're dead. Hopefully they're not. So hopefully, if the Spice Girls are still around, they'd be pretty good marketing if they can get them to advertise them. Nevertheless, now, their plane was actually grounded after the picture went viral. Now, the pilots took a picture specifically of a uncovered coffee cup, cup with the company logo on the airplane's control panel. However, the picture of the pilots' faces were not seen in the picture. So it was, when I say control panel, think of the cliche moment in every airline movie or every movie with a commercial airliner where they push the levers up to make the go faster. I think that's the panel. It looks like that's the panel it was on. And it was just placed right in the middle without a top. Now, news outlets in India noted that the picture was taken when the plane was cruising at 600 miles per hour. And it also noted that this has caused actual issues in the past. So nothing happened catastrophically in this instance. But between 2019 and 2020, two Airbus jets suffered mid-air engine failures and shutdowns rather after drinks were spilled in the cockpit. Now they do get an A plus for having the logo there. That's good. However, to have it precariously placed and even more disgusting, they're about to dip some type of croissant or funny looking, not a donut, almost like a shell thing into the coffee, which some things should not be dipped in coffee. That, that's, that's, to me, that's, that, that's a big, bigger controversy here. But that's a perfect, that's a business blunder, you know, 
it's just one of those things where it was good because I guess there's no such thing as bad advertising, perhaps. But yeah, this makes a lot of people concerned because it does have the potential for danger. Granted, they're at cruising. When you're cruising at 600 miles per hour, that's not that big. It's one of those things where it's like cruising a car on a highway. If your actual speed is constant, not that big of a deal. It's when you have variables, maybe up gust, up gust and wind or something. That's when you have other variables, just like in a car. Someone's slowing down in front of you. You got to slow down. In an airplane, there's some I'm sure there's some warm gust and other things. I can't think of in terms of those variables, but so the things could happen. Now, if only there's some type of mechanism where they could put coffee in it. You have some type of some type of thing to put on top that maybe la maybe it locks locks it shut. Something I don't know. If only something existed like that. Hmm. The world may never know. Now, for those just listening on the podcast, I'm looking at my Yeti cup on my table because obviously that would have been a lot smarter since liquids tend to stay inside of those things as opposed to a cheap cardboard little coffee cup, which could spill at any moment. Nevertheless, that is certainly the business blunder of the day. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. helps the channel out. And don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.